Welcome back to another episode of Find Your Sauce. So today's guest is Sarah Feldstein. She's a founder and current CEO of Rumba Play. So basically during COVID, Sarah decided to leave her father's accounting firm. She's been an accountant her whole life. She comes from a family of accountants. Her grandfather was a CPA. And for the last 10 years, Sarah's whole plan was to take over her father's accounting firm. But then during COVID, she started her own play couch brand called Rumba Play. They have their most popular product right now on market. It's 11 piece play couch that we're going to talk more about today. And Sarah, welcome. Glad to have you here and to learn more about your brand. Thanks very much. Pleased to be here. So Sarah, tell me about this 11 piece play couch. Where did this huge toy idea come from? Because you're also one of the first play couch brands that I, I've come across. So I'm wondering like, where this idea came from, having this huge jumbo-sized couch for your kids. Sure. So during the pandemic, it became impossible to do my job, really is what it was, because it was tax season, which is already a lot of hours. And now I was home with the kids, taking the form remote, and it just became impossible and not fair to my employees and to my clients to be in that situation. So where it really came from originally was from my kids' foam blocks. You know, those little foam blocks that kids play with and you can build towers, things like that. And it was sort of in discussion with my sister, this would be so much fun if this was big. But that was it, a discussion. It was never meant to become a business. It was only because I found myself leaving accounting from burnout and depression during lockdown that the idea sort of came back to me like, oh, wait a minute, we could make them big. So originally there was no couch component. It was just going to be life-size fun blocks to play with. It was only then that I realized, oh, wait a minute, there's this kind of play couch idea starting to take off in other countries. At the time, it wasn't in Canada yet. So maybe I should make these foam blocks also fit into a couch shape because if this trend is going to come to Canada, it's easier to sell something instead of just calling it giant foam blocks, but latch onto this play couch trend and make it also a couch. And where did you first see this trend? Like, was it on social media somewhere else? No, not at all. It was from explaining these giant foam block toy thing I was working on. And people were like, oh, you mean a play couch? And I said, what's a play couch? So then I went that, down that rabbit hole. I'm like, oh, this is like not what I'm doing, but close enough that it makes sense to kind of connect to something that's already trending that people will be looking for. And how did you prove the concept like to bring it to market? You saw the trends, you saw, you saw the growing vibe online, but it's like, how did you decide, okay, let me invest into production and really bring it to market? Sure. Well, during lockdown, everyone was home and needed things to do with their kids. So obviously there was that component as part of it. But I actually, I, I ran Facebook lead ads on a drawing of what the product would look like. So I never had a sample. I never had a product. I just ran ads from like a digital drawing, like, hey, this is coming, you know, put your email in. And I was getting all these emails from a computer generated drawing. So little things like that, too, that it was enough to be like, okay, we can move forward a bit. And then on top of that, I found an upholster, a local upholster to make me one. So I had one. Then I drove it around to different families. So I wrote on some Facebook mom groups, hey, I need some toy testers. So I got a sample made and I drove it around, would bring it home, wash it because of COVID, do it again, do it again. So I was able to get feedback on it as well as early user generated content, photos, mm -hmm. videos, testimonials, while proving that people wanted it and said, can we just keep it? The kids love it. So all these little things together to say, okay, I can invest in some inventory. I think, I think I'll be able to sell it. 
Wow, that's a very smart grassroots way of doing it, of proving a concept on Facebook ads, quickly getting the da data to back up your claim, whether it's going to work or not. That's, that's very cool. So how does your experience from your accounting firm transition to starting the brand? Like e even this idea of you running the Facebook ad to test the concept, like you're one of the first people that's ever said to even do something like that. Like where did this all come from? Well, because in accounting, I had clients from such a different array of industries, I've been exposed to lots of industries and I had e-commerce clients. And that was part of how I decided to go into e-commerce was when I said, okay, I can't do accounting right now. Kids are home. What am I going to do with myself? I just proved I can't be an employee and work from home with kids. I think I have to start a business. It better be something I can do online. <laughs> and having been the accountant for e-commerce companies, I was familiar with the model, the software, I had already listened to the podcast, like I had already done some initial learning to know how to kind of get into it a bit. So yeah, I don't know, I'm, a, I'm always a student, I like reading and listening and just researching things to figure out how to do things. And then of course, the accounting knowledge helps because it's easy to like, plan margin, set up a GST account, set up a corporation, have books that are done, like all the stuff that's a hurdle for other people, I know on the back of my hand. So of course I had to figure out how to make a product. How do you import a product? How does marketing work? But the the number side, at least that I had down. Makes sense. And how has your life changed ever since you started your own online business versus running the accounting firm? As much as I loved accounting at the time, I must say, I feel like I've been on a permanent vacation for the last few years because of how much less stressful it was. In accounting, my clients were often, we had regular, just regular corporate personal tax urines, things like that. But our specialty was people in trouble with the government, people who hadn't filed their taxes ever being audited. So for everybody it was a fire. It was, I'm going to get kicked out of my business, my house, the government took all my money. It was disasters all the time we were solving. Here, a disaster is someone got the wrong color. I'll send them a new one. <laughs> Things like that. Like the, the level of intensity and problem solving is just such a lower level that I find I can handle all of it with nominal stress from what I was dealing with before. Got it. And like before, how big was your team compared to now? And like, is there diff is there changes? Like are you are you more involved in execution now? How's that been? So before there was around 10 of us. So I had a number of employees that I was responsible for, which is also why I wanted to keep this small and not have employees for as long as possible. Um, I just didn't have the capacity during this time period to, to train people, be responsible for people. So that was also how I ended up with a bigger product, a smaller, cheaper product. I would have needed volume. Then I need more customer service support. I need more this, more that. And I thought if I had a bigger, more expensive item that was not based on volume, I would be able to do more myself for longer and not have to involve other people. I want to talk about that, about hiring employees and, and the mindset of it, right? Because like, that's a huge part of building a brand is find those key key members to really grow with like how do you know when it's time to bring in someone whether it was accounting firm or this brand right here when's the right time to bring in that person and how do you know that how could you tell from the interview process that yep this is the person that's gonna be good for the world 
I think we all make the mistake of hiring too late and we wait until we've run out of capacity before we hire, which makes it hard to train and give that person the time of day because we're too busy. I think we hire too late generally. Um, and sometimes it's obvious where you just don't have enough time in the day. And sometimes maybe it's just a task you hate or you're not good at. So I think there's different reasons why you would hire different roles, or maybe one is a high skill role that's difficult to hire for and another one's easier. So I think there's so many reasons that will dictate which role you're going to hire for. I did get better over time. One of my favorite things is the Myers-Briggs personality test. What's that? It's, it's just, it's, I think the website is like 16 personalities or something like that, but there's 16 types of personalities and I would usually get them to do it sometimes before I hired them, definitely after, because it gave me a shortcut to get to know people. Oh, this person hates being micromanaged or this person loves this, or they want structure, or they don't like conflict. And, and I would tell them what mine was too. And it kind of gave me an idea of how the person would operate. So I, I felt like I, I knew how they would work so I could set their relationship up better for success. Um, and I started to add, uh, I changed the hiring process as well, how I posted the job interviews. And I would also do some weeding questions. So whether it was a receptionist position for an accountant, just ask some basic questions because if someone can't answer these super basic questions, don't even look at their resume. So I would have that. Um, and then some of it was just on personality, especially with a small team where you want everyone to be able to get along. The chit chat matters. I would always let the employees sit and talk to the receptionist for a good 10 minutes before I met them because I wanted another person to be able to hold a conversation with them, get a, a sense of their vibe. Would they fit in? Are they personable? Because if you're meeting new clients and you have to land clients, the social aspect matters. You can be the best accountant in the world, but if you can't carry on a conversation with a stranger, you're not going to land the file. 100%. So when it comes to your brand right now, what's the first hire that you're looking to make or have made? I have not. I, I've just found I've been able to automate and do things faster so far to increase my capacity, but 2024, I need to. Um, I, I am looking, I'm debating right now if I should get a virtual assistant or get someone to help me make organic content, or maybe someone who can kind of do a bit of each, but those are the things to offload for sure. And, and what's the thought process for it? Like, like why do you want to get a, a VA or someone to make content for you? Like, like, why are you looking to outsource or hire for this basically? So for a virtual assistant role, there are a lot of repetitive administrative tasks that I'm doing that aren't a good use of my time, that someone could follow along and easily do those tasks. And when I added up how many hours I spent on these types of tasks, it was sort of like obvious. I shouldn't be wasting my time on this anymore. I easily could pass this off. And the problem with social media is it's just this this monster that has to keep being fed. And I find it takes up a lot of time to be posting on all the channels and just staying on top of it. And I've been doing that for two and a half years and I, I'm ready to kind of dedicate myself to other things to move the needle. So I have to get myself off of that a bit more for sure. Okay, I want to talk about your automation, right? Because the fact that you're running this whole company by yourself still is it's quite amazing to hear that. So. How did you bring automation processes into your whole operations? Like, like how is this happening? Where are you automating and how did you do it? Sure. So every area of the business obviously has its own 
setup. So for bookkeeping, I have a way that my receipts automatically save and organize and most of my bookkeeping transactions are automatically set as well. So I used rules with the software, rules with Google and filtering so that my bookkeeping is mostly done. Um, with email, of course, you set up email flows, right? Someone joins your email list, there's the welcome flow, your abandoned cart flow, things like that. Uh, with making content, I'll make a video on TikTok, remove the watermark, and then post the same video as a Pinterest pin on YouTube as a short, as an Instagram reel, so I can make one video and put it on all the channels. There is an app for that that I haven't got that I'm going to get for next year too that I need to check out as well. Is it a repurpose? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm going to test that one out. So just being able to do that. And then I've started to repurpose old content. Even with Instagram, you can scroll on your feed and share an old post to your stories. So I'll take an old play couch build and put it to my stories. Now that I have so many hundreds and hundreds of photos, I don't have to go take a new picture and find something new to post every day. No one remembers that I had the same story there six months ago or a year ago. So just things, little hacks like that. Um, customer service. I just keep adding to my website. So if I get a question emailed or on a website chat, well, clearly it wasn't made clear on the website. Let's add it on the FAQ. Let's add it on the product page to the point that I have almost no customer service. I have such a few amount of people asking me questions because I have the questions answered as many places as possible to make it easy for people to get their own answers. And how important was like was that change? Was it always like that your customer service was always top notch from the beginning or did you realize slowly okay, I need to put a lot more time into this into FAQ section and make sure the product description everything's clear so I don't deal with those requests later on? It's been ongoing as things came up. So when I launched, clearly how the product was used and the size was not made clear enough because one family was mad that they could, couldn't build a tall tower to the sky and have it balance them. And it was like, that's that, this, and, or it was too small. And I had all the dimensions there, but I needed clearly more photos with kids of different sizes. So you could look at the pictures and get a better sense of the scale, more photos to show how it's used. So you could get a better sense of how it was meant to be played with. So just every time something came up, I guess it's not clear. Let's make a change. And over time, it's answered like 99% of the questions that come in. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So when it comes to marketing kids' products, it's different than marketing to an adult because in the day, the adult has a disposable income. You're not, the kids aren't the one buying the product. This could be the parents, right? So it's like, how is a marketing approach different when you're targeting this? audience? This is something I spent a lot of time thinking about and a lot of time testing. So mm -hmm. I've tested mothers versus fathers. I've tested grandparents, different messaging. And it's tough. And it depends on the time of year, especially with a big expensive product. It is not an impulse purchase. It is heavily a holiday gift, a birthday gift, uh, a item because they're making a new playroom because they moved it is not impulse so a lot of it is just this long brand awareness until they're at that moment to buy and then from the problem solving toy aspect that also changes because someone might be buying it because their kids are destroying the sofa and they see it and say, oh my goodness great my kids will stop jumping on the couch mm -hmm. someone else is buying it because they're just making a playroom or they're using it for physical therapy. So trying to figure out which message to put in front of which person on the right platform at the right time is definitely an ongoing 
game for sure of of learning and seeing what works. And when it comes to bringing that traffic to the website, though, so I get it for the message, you gotta you're still testing out the different personas you're targeting. But how do you drive the traffic to the site then? From, from your so, audience, mm-hmm. I have found. Every channel has its place, of course. So Facebook is great for top of funnel of just basic awareness. Video ads are typically way cheaper than image ads. So I like often running a video ad as well as image ads. But the video ads, because you can get you know views for a fraction of a penny, they're really great for building top of funnel. Mm-hmm. TikTok is also really good for top of funnel, but you might have 50 videos that did nothing and then one that hits. But I find TikTok and Facebook then funnel people to come to Instagram. And on Instagram, I'll go through phases where I'll actually either send a text message or like a DM or a voice message saying, hi, thanks for following us. Let it, ha, like, let us know if you have any questions. And by the way, how did you happen to find us? And they'll tell me TikTok, they'll tell me Facebook. So I'll go through phases where I send that to everyone just to learn. So I find they end up on Instagram. They don't start with Instagram. And then from Instagram, they're more likely to then go check out the website, join the email. So each channel sort of seems to have its role so the role i got from that is like the tiktok and facebook is to lead them to the primary um, social media channel should be instagram because once they're on instagram then they'll go to the website but the goal of tiktok and facebook is to drive them to instagram first and the thing is attribution is a very difficult game to play because a facebook Mm -hmm. ad you right click you open a new tab or just go direct so i have so much direct traffic that i can't really track but I'll test it and say, let me stop doing Facebook or really drop Facebook. And I'll see that the direct traffic has dropped. So even though I can't attribute certain traffic to Facebook, I know it's connected. So it's it's sort of a mix of data and gut to try and figure it out. But that's really good that you do both approaches, right? Especially with iOS 14, like you don't get the clear picture on, on, your, on your data, right? So it's like the fact that you correlate that data that's from Google Analytics or from your back end of, say, your Shopify store, with the data that you're getting in the DMs, because you're messaging people saying, how, how do you find us here, right? And that'll give you the, the right insights that you're really looking for, because you're doing, you get real data, plus the Google Analytics data. I'm guessing, is that what you do? You, you contrast between the two and see how people are finding you, and basically? Yes, and I have a post-purchase survey, which I switched a few months ago from one to another. The old one, 10% of people were filling out. And the new one, 60% of people are filling out. And why is so that? I'm getting, I, I, so now I'm using no commerce. Okay. And it's resulting in way more people responding. So I'm seeing, oh, wow, way more people come from here than I thought. Okay, cool. So for 2024, I'll focus more on that. So I'm just, I'm always trying to figure it out because <laughs> everyone likes to take the attribution for themselves. Like Clavio for email marketing will say that they're, the sales are because of them. Pinterest will say it's because of them. But if you add up all the channels of who said that the sale is there, credit, you know, it's more than your total sales because of multiple touch points along with customer journey. Hmm. That that's a very good point to to take note of. So when it comes to your advertising budget, how do you distribute it across Instagram and TikTok? Is it half half? Um, do you like to focus on one platform for a lot of time then switch platforms? Like how do you balance the budget between the different channels for paid ads? So it's mostly Facebook and Google ads. I TikTok is usually organic. 
I, I rarely um, pay for TikTok ads. A little bit when I've had a viral, a viral video and I'll put a couple bucks behind it, but it's usually, I'll go in phases with TikTok because I find it's really hard to keep up all the time. So I might go three or four weeks where I'm posting every day and then I take a break. It's just, it's really hard to keep the TikTok stamina up, um, but they keep showing old videos to people, which is nice. Whereas, you know, uh -huh. your feed on Facebook and Instagram, that content dies really fast. TikTok, they keep showing old videos. That's a big point. The longevity for a TikTok is it lasts way longer. Mm -hmm. right? It's like a video you posted weeks ago could blow up later down the line and you might not even know about it. Mm -hmm. Have you found like a secret sauce, I would say, for TikTok? Like people, sometimes you make amazing content, gets a lot of views. Sometimes you get a hundred views. How, what's your approach when it comes to making content on TikTok that's performing? Any tips? Um, <laughs> not that would be helpful, but my, my tip is I don't waste a lot of time. I will take one take and I will post it because if I go for perfection, I'm going to spend so long on something and the bad version might work too. So it's more <laughs> like some that have been the best have been, Oh, it's five o'clock. I should post a TikTok and I spy, make something quick talk, put it together in five minutes. And that one got a ton of views. And another one that I spent time on didn't. But with TikTok, viral doesn't necessarily mean sales. I've had videos that were viral and that was it. There's been videos that have been viral that resulted in website traffic, but not sales. And then some that went from viral to website to sales, just depending on which audience TikTok showed it to. So I don't want to put too much stock in it because it's so it feels random to me. But because I like editing things, I'll make the TikTok simply because I like the editing platform and then push those videos to other places. And is there a reason, like, do you have any insight or, or hypothesis on why that content led to sales, that one led to traffic, that one led to nothing? Like, do you have any idea why these videos did that? Um, not, not really. <laughs> I'd be making it up um, of theories, but I don't have a good theory. It's seen. There's no clear formula for TikTok, right? It's like some, it just, sometimes it just does this thing and sometimes it just blows up and just gets you a result you want and it doesn't. And that's, it's just a beast of its own. That's hundred percent. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But because of that, and I have not taken the time to understand it at a super deep level, I wouldn't want to put too many eggs in the TikTok basket, basket personally. Also, I think it seems to work really great for less expensive impulse products. Mm. Like, oh, cool, a candle, a lip gloss, or this cool thing that I didn't know existed that solves some problem I have. It's easy to drop 20, 40, 60 bucks. Not so easy to drop 700 bucks. So when I've had viral videos close to holiday time, it makes a huge difference. If I have them at another time of year, people may not be in the right time to buy the thing. If they, Even if they want it, it may not make sense to buy it. So it won't really move the needle as much. So which channels do you think are better for your type of product? Do you think Pinterest works better? I do Pinterest as well, a little bit here and there, but I do not like the user interface at all. And I can't seem to see old data. I was on it this week and it only lets me go back 18 months. And I wanted to compare 2022 and 2023. And I could only go back to June, 2022. Because mm. I wanted to see how many sales from each ad. I was just trying to, you know, at the end of the year, look at everything compared to last year. Um, and I find on different screens, it shows me different results. So I don't like the user interface or trust it too much. So again, I won't make content for Pinterest, but if I already got a TikTok, I already have an Instagram post, I'll go and I'll post Mine's it here and there just because why not? I'll take the eyeballs or I'll use Pinterest just for cheap retargeting. 
maybe not to find new people, but just so I'm showing up all over wherever they go on the internet. So sometimes I'll throw a few bucks for daily retargeting and call it a day. Okay, makes sense. And then when it comes to 2024, how are you approaching a marketing strategy? I'm going to focus some more on blogs next year a bit because I have found blogs also last forever. People are researching. I found good success so far with some blogs. So I'm going to be looking more down that path as well because it's not going to cost as much. Either you get on a blog for free, you pay a bit. So I'm just going to, I'm going to be working on my blog strategy for sure because Facebook keeps getting more and more expensive. Google gets more and more expensive. So I just want to find some other channels that uh, could work. I haven't even tried anything with YouTube really yet. Hmm. And when it comes to Facebook costs, like what what is an average um, cost per acquisition, would you say, to even buy one of your products? Or are you up willing to pay to, to get one of your products? It has gone up a lot, but it also depends on the time of year. So if I'm trying to sell a play couch in June, that's a lot more expensive than selling a play couch in November. Mm, okay. So it changes because in holiday time, the demand is so much more for toys. So you can acquire customers for cheaper when way more people want your product. So I might be doing more engagement and awareness ads earlier in the year and switch more to conversion ads. So it's a little murky for me because it depends on the when and the what. Got it. And what's the future vision for Bramba Play? Like, where do you see it going next year? Talk about next year, because I, I know I'm not going to say five years from now, because who? Because that's a, that's very far away. But what is the future vision that within the next twelve months? So, unlike most companies that want to grow big, my goal is to keep this as a small lifestyle business. If I need an employer, too, fine. But I missed every dinner with my kids when they were little because I was working long hours. I was working tax season, and now it's a nice sunny day. We can go to the park. We can go swimming. So I like. I want to keep it small. I want to have a good business. It can grow. But my goal is not some giant business with this company. I'm continuing to learn a lot and do new things. But if I can just keep it at a lifestyle business for these next couple of years, that is why I'm doing this. And we'll see in the future if I feel like whether with this company or another company making something big. But that's not my goal with this, with this business. How did you do that? I'm very curious because like a lot of people who do have e-commerce brands, they're still working crazy, like 10, 12 hour days, right? Trying to get it done. Like, how did you create such a system and business model that allows you that freedom still to like get time for your kids? Like how much hours would you say you work in a week right now? So I drop them at school and I only really start at nine and by 4.30 or five, they're home as well. Mm -hmm. So part of it is the business model because I'm basically a one product store and I'm probably, I have a few more products ready to go, but it's, so it's not like I'm managing tons of different inventory. Yes. I have a few colors, but it's not like clothing where you're making new collections every quarter and you're managing all these sizes and returns. So it's a simple supply chain. It's a simple offering. I've just tried to keep things as simple as possible. And customers often say, can't you just sell these shapes or these shapes? And no, because I want it simple because the more SKUs I have, the more fulfillment errors, the more inventory to stock, the more potential warranty claims, the more this, the more that. I just try and go with simple as much as possible for every angle of the business. I love it. You, you create the brand around your lifestyle and what yes. you want. And it is your company, right? So you're going to build it accordingly and make sure you're happy first. 
Mm -hmm. which I didn't before. Before it was work, work, work. And now it's how am I making this business work for me? That's a great thought to leave on. Um, so Sarah, where can everyone find you online? Anywhere you go at Barumba Play. Love it. Everyone go check out Sarah's Play Couch. And Sarah, thank you again for joining us today. And everyone, thanks for tuning in and we'll chat to you next time. Thank you.